What's good, everyone? This is Rafael Garcia, back for another edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast. Today is Thursday, uh, what is it, December 12th, and I'm back with Schwan Humes for another edition of this show. We're at episode 105. So how you doing there, Schwan? I'm good. How about yourself? I'm doing good, man. Worn the fuck out. I'm exhausted. Um, another another long day of training, but, you know, it is what it is. We're going to be on the mats all day. Yeah, I've been actually been trying to find some uh, open mats to go to because with my schedule, that's pretty much all I can hit up. But I, I've been having some, have been having a lot of luck. Looks like I'm going to have to be driving like 30 or 40 miles one way just to get some mat time in. But sometimes you just got to do it. Yeah, who are you telling? Who, who are you telling? Um, so we got quite a bit to talk about today in the world of mixed martial arts. Um, we got some interesting news to cover. We got a pretty damn good fight card this week in the cover as well. So let's go ahead and kind of um, jump on into it because I want to start with the topic that seems to have caught everyone's attention in a very intriguing way where we have Greg Hardy and the mess that the UFC has created. Now, we are all familiar with Greg Hardy. We know who he is. He's a former football player. played for Carolina Panthers. played for the Dallas Cowboys. I believe he played in the CFL as well, but was jettisoned due to his uh, penchant for hitting women. Um, he uh, was accused of domestic uh, assault, domestic violence, excuse me. Um, the situation was set to trial, but the case was dismissed because the, the victim stopped cooperating with the uh, authorities. So for those who are unaware, he turned to mixed martial arts, and I'm not going to lie, he was a quickly rising prospect in MMA, uh, fought on two episodes of the Contender Series, and also fought for LFA, I believe. They got him a fight there as well, but what has occurred is now he is stepping into the octagon in a few weeks in January and it's quite a controversial situation twofold because a almost three actually and I'm going to talk about another angle of this as well but a he's stepping into the UFC b he's on the same card that Rachel Och- Ostovich is on and she is a recent victim of domestic violence and then c there's the, uh, the angle with ESPN not taking a stand on this in any way, shape, or form. And we're going to touch on that as well, too. But, Shawan, let's give me your first thoughts about this whole situation. What do, what were you what were you first initially thinking when you saw this? Uh, I'm not shocked. I mean, I, I'm not shocked by them going with Greg Hardy. It draws attention, even if it's negative. He's, he's a name. He's a former NFL player. He was a high-level NFL player. Just the fact that they're going to have him on this car, even though it's bad attention. The fact of the matter is it's high profile for the UFC. It's high profile for ESPN. There's people who, who are tuned in to see if the UFC goes ahead and keeps him on the car. There'll be people tuned in to see if he gets knocked out because you know how much joy people get of seeing a guy who's a criminal or a guy who they don't like get knocked out or get beat up, whether in a play, in a game, or a fight. People love to see that. So, um, so I, I can't. I'm not saying I don't follow the UFC. I get why they're doing it. it. And plus, if you just look at a strictly fighting manner, Greg Hardy isn't anybody's technician. He's not a seasoned veteran. But let, let's 
make one thing clear. Derek Lewis, with pretty much the lowest skill set you've seen in mixed martial arts, has somehow managed to work his way up to a title fight based off of explosiveness and one-punch power. If Greg Hardy can do one-tenth of that, even though he's ten times the athlete, if you see Derek Lewis do that, what do you think that somebody like Greg Hardy could do in a division is one-dimensional and as thin as, as heavyweight if he can get some skills underneath him? It sets up to be a very a very good prospect just based off his physical tools alone. Plus, he's a prospect that comes in with built-in – he doesn't have built-in fans, but he has a, a segment of people who hate him, which means rating. It means interest. It means a reaction from people. Whether you get a good reaction or a bad reaction, the thing every promoter wants is a guy who creates a reaction. Greg Hardy creates a reaction. Therefore, that's why you have Greg Hardy being put on the contender series. That's why you have Greg Hardy being put on at ESPN. Hey, Swan, I need you to um, let's go ahead and get your your connection fixed now. Um, as you okay. go on, try to try to get yourself situated there so you can kind of work in on it. Yep. So, but yeah, the conversation about um, Greg Hardy is not going to be an easy one to cover because we know well, I'm not going to say it's not going to be an easy one to cover it's not going to be an easy one for the UFC to avoid because we know why they're doing what they're doing they're here for the money they're here for the, the payday each and every time and he is going to draw ratings for whatever reason they may be people want to see him get knocked out people want to see him win I mean there's so many different narratives about this uh, about this fight right now that's just kind of disgusting to unhold or uh, Behold, and it's in. It's sad because I've been, you know, I've I've been tweeting out, you know, hashtag MMA fans as as a derogatory term for MMA fans because you know they're going to do whatever they want to do, and this is just yet another example because it's interesting seeing them cover for the UFC in a situation and almost deride Rachel for still being on the card and not acknowledge the fact that there is something wrong with him being there and being who he is at this point in time. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Well, and this is, I'm not, I'm not saying what he does is okay, but this is the problem I have with the media and MMA fans who are against him being on here. And I, I speak on this from as, as a person who's actually involved himself in domestic violence. I don't mean like I've done it. I mean, I've helped people move out of their houses. I've driven across states to get somebody and drive them back to their family. I've seen strangers beating the hell out of their boyfriend or beating the hell out of their girlfriend and j- jumped out of my car and run across the freeway to pull somebody off somebody. So when I say this, I say this as a person who's taken action among every time I've seen it. Like everybody in my family knows, I don't let people beat up on women. I don't really let people beat up on people around me. That's just never going to happen. And it's been situations where it's been minor altercations. I've had a gang of people trying to fight me. I have people pull guns or bats on me. And I've still done what I had to do because I feel like it's right. And the thing that irritates me is there's so many people, Greg Hardy's a coward, he's a piece of whatever. You wouldn't say that to Greg Hardy's face. There's people getting beat. There's a girl getting smacked around you right now. You ain't said nothing. And this doesn't go just for men. This goes for women. Everybody keeps saying, well, these men are cowards. You could have said something. Why didn't you say anything? Well, I'm a woman. I can't do anything. Well, what would I do against Greg Hardy? I have about the same amount of success as you have, but that's not going to stop me from saying something or calling somebody or doing the right thing. And all these people keep looking for somebody else to fight their battle for them. UFC should do this. ESPN should ask these questions. Somebody else should ask. It's always somebody else. Somebody else should help. Somebody else should do something. What can I do? I don't have any money. What can I do? I'm a woman. What can I do? I'm a small guy. It's always these excuses for why they didn't take action. And that frustrates me. I, I can't stand it. If you have an issue, 
you know, put your put your credentials on the line and speak your issue. Don't come on Twitter and complain about it and then go to the press conference and not ask any questions. You're being a hypocrite. Don't tell me about Greg Hardy needs to be stopped. And then you saw Greg Hardy, you didn't say nothing. Or you know some girl in your neighborhood or some guy in the neighborhood getting beat up by his spouse or her spouse, and you ain't saying nothing. Like people are all pretenders. They keep saying they want some they want somebody else to do the battle. They just want to get on Twitter and complain. And I, I had a there was a actually a series of tweets I made and people got offended. They're like, what do you mean people need to stop paying lip service? Exactly what I said. How many times have you stopped some woman from getting beat up by somebody who was a threat to you? Well, you know, I'm I, I need to mind my own business. It's dangerous. Then shut up. Don't just say it now because it's safe. If you don't do this stuff in your real life, shut up. And too many people are just talking on Twitter and telling their friends and whispering behind their back and talking to their media friends. Say something to Dana. Say something to the other fighters. The other fighters are on the show. Why aren't they talking about it? Everybody's disgusted. Everybody's sick of it. Ain't nobody putting their credentials on the line. Ain't nobody putting their health on the line. Ain't nobody putting their money on the line. Ain't nobody doing nothing except talking on Twitter and complaining. I can say this because I've already spent thousands of dollars getting people jobs or moving people places or letting them stay in my house for six months with their three kids. I've already done this. The rest of these people are just talking and it irritates me because they would never say it to somebody who matters. They only say it on Twitter. So this all is fake disgust I see. I, I don't want to hear it. I, I'm sick of the fake disgust. Show me somebody you helped. Show me somebody you protected. Let me talk to your family members and they can tell me how many people you saved or you've helped you to come out of your pocket for to help or you risk your life. You haven't done it? Well, then shut up now. I don't need you doing it when it's a celebrity. Do it in your own community. And nobody's doing that. So it's just fake disgust to me. Because ain't nobody putting their livelihood on the line to make the point that needs to be made. They're just on Twitter talking about it, on their podcast talking about it. Ain't nobody really doing nothing. And, I, and it, it irritates me. If you're going to be disgusted, do something about it. It's like having a problem in your community and you yell at the rich people for not fixing it. It's your community. You fix it. And these people aren't doing nothing. And I'm sick of their excuses for why they ain't doing nothing. Well, I'm not rich. I need to pay my bills. I got fired from a job because I didn't tolerate somebody abusing women. So what? I got four kids. I can't afford to get fired. How many kids do you have? Zero. And I'm not saying everybody's got to do that. But if you want to talk that bold, you have to have some action to back it up. There has to be some history. And nobody wants to take any chances on their own behalf to make the stand that needs to be, stand, made, needs to be made. Same people abashing it are going to watch the card. <laughs> so what are, what are they saying? You, you, you see where I'm coming from? I'm not trying to insult anybody, but do you see the point I'm trying to make in this? So, I mean, I think there's a lot that, that you really said there and kind of sticking to what we're focusing on right now with, with Greg Hardy being in the UFC. Um, I think that there's a lot, there's a couple of different angles we should talk about when we, when we are discussing this. The first is how is it being covered? And it's interesting watching the, the narrative from the media side because yes, there's a lot of pushback. There is a lot of pushback uh, to him being in um, being in on on the big stage right now. There is a lot of pushback to that idea of him being there. And what's interesting is that pushback is occurring, but it's not it's it's not a recurring thing. Like uh, if you followed what was going, what happened at the UFC 231 press conference this week, where uh, the UFC PR basically told all the media members to stick to asking questions about the fights and, and nothing else. And people did that. Um, they, there, there weren't any questions in reference to what was going on. There weren't any questions because a lot of people felt like, hey, now is not the time. And 
what was interesting about that is that Dana White did get asked the questions about Rachel and about uh, Greg Hardy, and he gave some typical Dana answers to the uh, situation. But I am at least appreciative that, A, there are true media members that are covering this situation, and I believe that they're covering it in the right, right way. They're covering it providing truth to what occurred with Greg Hardy. Dana White's been saying that Dana White and some other individuals have used the term that he was acquitted of the charges. He was not found not guilty, et cetera, et cetera. That's actually 100% not true. The case was dismissed simply because the victim stopped uh, cooperating with authorities. That's something totally different. So it's being covered in a way that is at least truth, truthful to the matter. I don't think it's, I, I mean, it'll be interesting to see who, who asks and answers the hard questions. And I'm interested, also interested in the way individuals are pointing the finger at ESPN as well, because that's also equally important because they've made it a point, they being ESPN, that they are making a push to become less political. And I use the term political in air quotes. Domestic violence is a situation that is political. It's politicized in one, one way or another. And that sports platform, that network, the worldwide leader in sports has made it clear that they're not going to talk about these situations as much as they have in the past because of what Donald Trump has said about them, what their white male de uh, demographic has said about them when Jamel Hill and Michael Hill or and Michael Smith were, were running sports in our at the six. So that narrative has had an impact on ESPN and they are not covering the situation as they really should, because this is a, this is a huge uh, moment here. Even like Jeff Wagenheim, he wrote about the uh, matter, but he didn't write about it in a way that also points the finger at ESPN because he works for ESPN now. So I think that it's being covered in the right way. The UFC is still such a niche sport in a way that it's not going to get the mainstream coverage where they would get a, a, enough of a backlash to make a change. But I do think that it is getting covered in the right way to begin with. All, all I'm saying is everybody is it's, it's almost the same thing with uh, Leslie Smith and the Project Spearhead and everything else that goes on. Everybody behind the scenes will say something. But the only way you're going to make a change is if somebody is willing to take a risk. Aya Quinta is willing to take a stand for pay. Leslie Smith is willing to take a stand for pay. Everybody's disgusted by this. Everybody has a problem with it, but they're still covering the event. Everybody's disgusted by it. If somebody touched my daughter, somebody touched my wife, but people are still fighting on the event. Change is not happening. Well, we've had this discussion. Me and you've had this before. Change is not happening unless somebody is willing to fall on the sword or take the bullet. Everybody wants change, but don't nobody want to take a bullet. Don't nobody want to go to jail. Don't nobody want to cost their, their paycheck. And you can't evoke any change without somebody sacrificing anything. There's just no possible way, and nobody across the board wants to make a sacrifice because they're afraid of losing access, they want to fight on the card, they need money, and I get it. I get it all. But uh, anything, if somebody's not willing to take a risk, it's just lip service. If somebody's not willing to take a hard journalistic stand, it's just lip service. And I'm not saying there's not people who don't do their jobs, but large majority of people as it, a large majority of people aren't doing their jobs, and that allows the the UFC to get away with stuff like this, and it's just kind of sad because it's it doesn't just happen in this instance; it happens with the PEDs and the and what God knows whatever else happens. They just make they make a stance, and everybody falls in line and complains after the fact. 
at some point somebody's got to do something different if they want to get a different result. Otherwise, we're just complaining about the same problem over and over again. And rather than complain about it, just accept it and move it on. I'd rather you accept it and move on than just complain, complain, complain and not do it. So another side of this that's not fully being covered is I wonder what the women on the UFC roster, what are their feelings and what are their thoughts on the matter? Because during, like, like I said, when Dana was interviewed, he mentioned that they talked to Rachel about the situation and he claimed that she was quote unquote, okay with him being on the card. Now, this is interesting because a Rachel is not in a position to bargain. If this was Ronda Rousey back in the day and she was like, fuck that, I don't want him on the card, he wouldn't be on the card. But Rachel made, what, $12,000 her last fight? She's going to do whatever the UFC tells her to do because she is not in a position to push back or be an agent of change in any way, shape, or form. But I wonder what the entire women's division, both weight classes, or all three weight classes, how they feel about this matter. And if someone did like an anonymous survey or an anonymous interview or, or interviewed these individual individuals anonymously and just talked them through it, I wonder what the, what the type of response would, would, would be. I'd have to assume it'd be negative. I mean, wasn't Jesse, Jesse Jess, wasn't she a victim of domestic abuse? And uh, was there was another fighter recently who was assaulted Andrew by her Lee. husband. Angela Yeah. Um, I know. I remember. I don't know if she's still on the. I don't, well, Beck Rawlings was as well, but she's still not. She's not in the UFC anymore. So, um, are you moving around a lot, dude? Moving around a lot. So, um, Beck Rawlings was as well, but I don't know. I'm sure that there's others who are on the roster who have been victims of um, domestic uh, violence or, or or assault in some in some fashion. Yeah, and. I mean, the only thing you're going to get to speak at is anonymously, but it just, it makes you wonder, like, what kind of options do they have? As you said, Rachel doesn't have any real options. She is, she's not in a financial position. I mean, I'm surprised she's taking the fight considering the injuries I've, I've the un- understanding I have of injuries she's had. And she just, she's in no position. I mean, if you just were in an abusive situation, mentally, you're not really in a position to make that decision. And financially, she's not. But yet she has to fight to keep, a possible ranking and, and to make money. So it's like him saying that it's almost a slap in the face to victims because it's basically saying, well, she can make this decision. And people who are victims of, of abuse, whether it's male or female, aren't really capable of making that kind of decision. If they were, they wouldn't be in a situation where they were being abused. Uh, it just seems like this could get really, this could get really out of hand. Like really I'm, I'm surprised it hasn't already. You're breaking up again. I'm surprised it hasn't gotten as bad, especially given all the issues they've had recently in the news with the NFL and now the UFC. It just seems like this is a powder keg waiting to explode. Like at some point, this is all going to come to a head and come to a head in a very ugly way. Yeah, and I think it's... it's um, so I think it's a interesting point because you see what the NFL is going what the NFL is going through with uh what was it Kareem Hunt the guy from the Chiefs that just got cut so yep, him and Ruben Foster both how say it again him and Ruben Foster both yeah I forgot about Ruben Foster 
and it's it's such a situation where it's like the NFL sport professional sports and I was talking to someone about this you know professional sports never get this situation right never they never get the situation in dealing with domestic violence by these athletes correctly oftentimes because the people in the room making the decision are all men clearly the 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 voices in the room for the UFC uh, in this matchmaking situation were all men because someone did not see that this could be a problem and same thing's going on with the NFL same thing's going on in the NBA they have another set of problems as well so this situation will never be handled correctly and it's just unfortunate that this is probably going to be one of the bigger stories heading in, into that fight card instead of it being this is the launch of something new for the UFC and MMA as a whole being featured on on ESPN I, I wonder if this ever stunts their growth I mean it is a neat sport but do you ever feel like it could be a setback for it? Like it already has a limited audience and you have this guy being this high profile being pushed by the UFC. Like there's got to be some kind of, I don't know, some kind of backlash. I mean, this isn't the NFL. They're not that big. This isn't the NBA. They're not that big. I mean, could this, can this sport afford to take any sort of hit of that nature? Um, could it afford to take, I mean, I'll put it this way, and I'm going to say it in the wrong fashion. Um, but and this may be wrong the way I say it, but it's already taken the hit of Dana White being the for being one of the figures in the forefront, and some of the things he's done and, and said. I think it it'll it'll easily survive this. I, th- I think it will. Okay, I have one more question for you, and, and this is going to be very on the nose. You know how they had the Ray Rice video and the Cream Hunt video? Yeah. Let's just say at some point they have a video of an MMA fighter doing this to a woman. Do you think that this that would be like what re- could really stop them in their tracks? Like, because there'd be no way to explain it or to spin it. It's like we saw this trained fighter attack this woman. Like, how do you spin that? There isn't any way to spin it. And the fact that it would be a fighter who would be doing that would, would make it worse. I do think that the response to it would, would be much worse. I'm just curious because I figure at some point, especially would it be on ESPN and it's becoming more publicized? Like, I know it's worldwide, but being on a really major sports network, the, thing, the things that have happened in mixed martial arts have been covered up or nobody saw that time is gone now. I think it's only a matter of time before we see this thing or we get some kind of video or we get some kind of crazy voicemail threatening somebody. It's just a matter of time. It's getting it's getting into too many circles. And some of these big stories that come out about the NFL or the NBA, I think some of them will come out against somebody in the mixed martial arts. And I don't know how they're going to defend it because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be something head-on and obvious. And I don't know that Dana White has poise or the maturity to handle these situations with the delicacy that needs to be handled. You're breaking up, Swan. I said, I don't think Dana White has the delicacy to handle the situation the way it needs to be handled if it ever came out like that. Yeah, man, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think that that situation would ever go over well. So, let's keep the conversation moving because I want to talk about the next 
uh, news story that we have today, and uh, that was Dominic Cruz versus John Lineker at UFC 233. Uh, Cruz is finally coming back again from another layoff, uh, and he's going to kind of remain in the title picture with this big fight here, facing off against Lineker. Now, I saw the fight uh, announcement. I was like, I wasn't too... I was, I'm not too intrigued, and I I'm I have Leonard, uh, excuse me not Lineker I have Cruz as an early pick in this just because of the size advantage. But what do you see initially from this fight between these two, which is for an important slot in the bantamweight rankings? Uh, I'd probably say I'd favor Cruz on his veteran savvy, his defensive prowess, and he's got a more of a balanced game than Lineker. My o- only concern is Cruz hasn't looked great in his last fight, and he hasn't fought in two years. And I know he was able to turn that trick once. I don't know the likelihood that he can do it again. I mean, against Garbrandt, he just looked slow. He looked unbalanced. He's already not a big power puncher. He's not a physically dominant athlete. I mean, his style can cause anybody fits. But when you're physically falling apart and you're declining athletically, it's really hard to be consistently successful against young, durable, explosive athletic fighters, which Lineker is. Lineker is very flawed. But I don't know that Cruz has the skill set or even the durability to last long enough to expose those flaws. Like, it's a very dangerous fight for him. Not because of a technical basis, but Lineker is tough. He's aggressive. He attacks a lot. And he doesn't take no for an answer. And if Cruz isn't on his piece of cue, I don't know how he, I don't, I don't know how he goes, much less wins the fight. Yeah, I'm definitely, I, I look at this and I'm like, man, this is a, this is a fight that has Cruz's name written all over it. Yeah, I, I would, I don't know. It's like the further he gets away from the cage, the harder every matchup seems to be for him. Even against guys who are fundamentally flawed, just because I mean, there's only so long you can get by on veteran savvy, and you know, you and me have the same rule: you can't not be active and then just come in and compete at a world class level time and time again. And it's been another two years off, and, and I just don't know that he can navigate it successfully. Technically, he's got the skill. Strategically, he's way ahead of Lineker. But physically, can his body hold up? Against Dillashaw late, he was falling apart. And against Garbrandt, he just looked off. He just looked bad. And, and I don't know that what he has left after that point. We've seen nothing from him. So it, it's a 50-50 proposition just because of that, in my opinion. Do you think the winner of this gets a, a title shot? Uh. If Cruz wins, yeah. I mean, Lineker has already lost to Dillashaw, and he lost decisively. Dillashaw beat his ass. But if Cruz wins, it's the biggest fight they can make for Dillashaw, and he would have beaten a top 10-ranked fighter. So that, that would be the biggest fight. If Dillashaw wants to make money, that's the biggest fight out there for him is to fight Cruz. So he's hoping Cruz wins because that's a big payday for him. But if Lineker wins, no. He's going to have to win at least another fight or two just to have a, ch- a chance at a title fight. I think that this bantamweight position, um, it, it's, in my opinion, the next bantamweight challenger needs to come from that fight that was just announced between Marlon Morales and Rafael Sunsal. They're running it back in Brazil. I don't remember what fight card is on, but that fight right there, the number one contender needs to come out of that fight. No questions asked. It should, based off the quality of the fighters, but, you know, based off of what the UFC, they want to sell. They want to get move units. Dilla, Cruz and Dillashaw have a history. Cruz is the last guy to beat Dillashaw. Cruz knows how to sell a fight. I don't know that Mar- Mar- Marlon or nor do I know that Rafael, Rafael knows how to sell a fight. They don't have that appeal. 
skill wise, yeah, it's a great fight. But as far as drawing up interest, trash talk, being able to host interviews, to go make the rounds on a on a ten city tour to help build up the fight, either one of those guys can do it. Cruz is a, bit, a built in certain amount of pay per view sale. So to my experience, they're going to take Cruz if he wins, whether he looks good or not. If he wins, Cruz will get that title fight. I can't imagine nothing else. Um, I think what's interesting about Marlon is that he has the highlight reel that could help sell. Um, the knockout of Jimmy uh, Rivera, the knockout of Aljamain Sterling, what he did in World Series of Fighting, he has the highlight reel that I think could help sell a fight more than Rafael Sunsau, who does have a win over uh, TJ. So I think that there's pros and cons to both men. I, I hope you're right. I really hope you're right, because I, I would like to see that proven. I just, as I've seen in the UFC, they will take they will take the short, immediate, short, quick money over the long-term build of a quality matchup. There, I mean, let's face it; they could have come up with a more legitimate flyweight title for this for for this event, but they decided to go with what they thought will sell between a one-time flyweight and a girl who's never fought there in, in the mixed martial arts during the UFC because they thought it would sell. Same thing with Cormier and um, Cormier and and Lewis. They could have had Stipe go for a rematch immediately. They've had dominant champions get starched and get immediate rematches. Joanna versus Rose, Anderson versus Weidman. But all of a sudden, Stipe has to step aside so that Derek Lewis can get a fight? That was all about selling pay-per-views. So, you have to excuse me if I, if I don't have faith in UFC's matchmaking to do the right thing, instead of doing what's going to make them some money in the short term. So, as we talk about uh, UFC matchmaking, let's talk about this weekend's card, because there's a lot of great matchmaking up and down UFC 231, and we got to start with the main event where we have Max Holloway finally defending his featherweight title against um, Brian Ortega, and this is a pretty interesting fight here and for a lot of different reasons. What are your thoughts initially when you look at this fight card or, or this main event? My, my initial concern, and I know other people have said this, is that I'm really, I really don't know what Max Holloway has left. These last two issues he's had with weight cuts has me concerned because, I mean, he got pulled from the card to fight Khabib because they said it was a danger of him making the weight. And then in his actual weight class, he couldn't compete for... And I, I don't exactly know exactly what was wrong with him in the first fight. Nobody ever gave a definite answer. And that impacts how I view the fight because part of Max's success is his durability and his ability to fight at a very high pace. If any of those things changes, even 10%, 5 to 10%, he's not the fighter he normally is because so much of his, his fighting is based on the variety of strikes he throws and the amount of strikes he throws. So much of it is based on the fact that you can kick him, you can punch him, you can knee him. You can't back back Holloway off. He'll keep pressing and throwing and attacking on every level until he breaks you. If he doesn't have that to fall back on, how effective is Max Holloway? Can he get that kind of volume off if a guy's hurting him with every shot? Can he get that kind of volume off if he can't maintain or build on that kind of, that volume he's working at? No, he, he's not the same fighter. Instantly, his, his fighting style becomes a hindrance, not a help. So right off the bat, my concerns for his durability, for his stamina, and his ability to be versatile instantly affects my, my, my perspective on whether or not he can win this fight. If he's facing a guy who's a world-class and Max is known for being a dominating round, if you take one of those two traits away, he can't win or he dominate rounds like he do. And what I think, I don't think he looks 
I don't think he looks great. Bring it up a little bit, sir. Yeah, I don't think he looks great, and I don't know how dominant he can be until I, until I see him in the cage. Right now, I, I'm thinking he's, he's a little suspect, a little man. He's vulnerable. So, hmm. Where do you think this fight goes? Where do you think this fight remains? Is it, is it, is it a standing fight from start to finish, or is it something else? I think it. I think for Ortega, I think Ortega needs to transition between ranges. Even though he's gotten a lot better striking, I think the mistake would be for him to seek only to exchange your backs. He's got to use the wrestling. He's got to use the grappling. He's got to at least threaten with it to create the openings for his striking and to hopefully force Max Holloway to holster some of his volume and to hesitate a little bit as far as the pressure he puts on. I believe that Ortega can get Max Holloway down if, if Max overextends and exchanges. I believe Ortega can do damage on the ground, but it's all, it's all in how he sets it up. I believe the fight's going to actually take place all over the cage in multiple ranges. But I think the fight will be decided in striking exchanges on the feet. Do you think that Ortega has the ability to score and score enough on the feet? The thing is, Ortega is not, a, not the biggest hitter. I don't think he has to score a lot. The way Max Holloway fights, Max Holloway is actually a very good defensive fighter, but he likes to throw a lot of volume. He likes to throw a lot of variety. It doesn't matter how good defensively you are. If you like to pressure and you like to throw a lot of volume, you're going to get hit, and you're going to get hit big. And everybody who's fought Max Holloway has been able to get, have a certain amount of success on the feet. The difference in this case is he's facing a guy who, who seems to have finishing power and a guy who's not afraid to counter heavily, a guy who's also got similar durability. I haven't seen Ortega really backed up or bullied or really chipped up. He takes a lot of shots, but you don't ever, see, you don't ever get the impression he's afraid to fire back. So I don't think he needs to work at the raid that Max Holloway does. I think he needs to just attack the right areas, and he needs to be willing to sit down on the shots and really commit to whatever he's doing, like aggressively counter. And I also believe he needs to attack the body and the legs a little bit, take some of that spring away to expose Max, Max defensively a little bit as well. But I think he has the power to put Max away. Hmm, interesting. What I think, what I think a lot of people aren't talking about here in this situation is Max's health. Um, I plan on writing about this this week, but if you listened to Max doing the interview rounds this week, something sounds off with him, especially if you compare it to how he sounded in the past. Someone did a comparison between him, I think, a couple years back, and how he's been sounding this week. And man, his speech patterns are totally, totally off. If, I mean, in a way where it's almost disheartening to hear, and in a way it's disturbing to hear as well. Um, yep. I think ahead. that I'm this sorry. is a question that more people need to be asking and asking and paying close attention to because he's still a very, very young man. And we may be seeing someone whose career may be coming to an end faster than we uh, want to believe. Yeah, well, we, we, when, they first, when they first pulled this fight, me and you talked about this. And it's, it's like I said earlier, a lot of his style is based on that work rate and that physicality and that durability. But much like a, a Antonio Margarito in boxing or a um, Brandon Rios to a degree or in MMA you have Cain Velasquez, for you to have that level of conditioning, you don't just get it running and lifting weights and sprinting and doing explosive drills. You have to you develop it because you do the act that you're going to do in, in the competition, which is fight. That means Max spars a lot, and he spars at a high rate, and he spars with a lot of contact level because you, you can't just take the shot. You have to be comfortable taking the shot. How do you get comfortable taking shots? 
by taking shots? How do you get comfortable working out of submissions by constantly being put in them or threatening them? How do you get comfortable scrambling or defending takedowns? You have to be taken down repeatedly or you have to have somebody shooting or trying to trip you or body lock or throw you. That's how you develop it. Guys with that kind of fighting style, high pressure, high volume, they don't last very long because their style is based on them burning the candles and building you're testing your durability on a regular basis because you're building it, building that comfort. You're testing and pushing your stamina so you can get comfortable with being tired, get comfortable with being fatigued, so you can get that second second win or that third win. So he's been pushing it very hard. And on top of that now, he's had two really bad weight cuts that nobody has any explanation for what really went wrong with him. So his, his whole style in and of itself isn't built for long term. It's not, it's not a 15, 20-year built style. And if you look at the majority of his fights, high contact, lots of shots, fighting all over the place, high, high rate of action, shots absorbed, shots through. So he might have really been shifting that his prime might might already be coming to an end. Half the reason Jose Aldo has such an extended prime is why? Defense. He picks his spots with his offense. Low volume. Guys who throw a lot of volume and take a lot of shots and apply a lot of pressure. Which fighter have you seen in mixed martial arts or boxing? had a 10, 12, 13, 14 year career at a high level. You've seen lots of technical guys, a lot of defensive breaking guys. You're breaking you've, seen a, you've seen a lot of technical guys and a lot of defensive guys have long careers. How many long careers have you had of a guy with high volume, high pressure, who depends on his durability? I have no idea. It, it's, it's very rare. They're like streaking stars. They come out of nowhere, they go to the top of the sky, and then they burn out quick. And this is very likely this is what happened to Max Holloway. So you're you're right and you're you're right in your concern. And I'm surprised his team hasn't done more tests. And I'm surprised that he himself hasn't asked himself more questions. Because when a guy like him loses it, that's it. It doesn't come back. It's done. Once you lose it, it's a steep drop downhill. Because you have to change your whole fighting style just to be effective. And I don't know that he can do that. And I don't think he can change his fighting style either because because that's kind of what's been indicative of his success at this point in time. Um, but I'm really I'm really concerned about his health, and I would love to see someone have a further a deeper conversation about that. Did, one question: Did they ever find out what exactly happened to him in this second weight cut to get for Ortega fight? I don't know what was ever revealed. I don't remember hearing anything about that whole conversation so there's no like nobody released a definite answer we're just he just couldn't fight and that was it yeah i don't i don't ever like i remember it being like concussion like symptoms but i don't remember ever hearing about anything after that i i i mean does that i mean just you used to compete you have friends who compete you coach people compete if you had a fighter who was in that situation um, when I mean, as as their coach or their me- member of their team, wouldn't you have some concerns? Wouldn't you be like, "Excuse me, what?" Like, no, I need to know exactly what happened so we can know how to proceed. I mean, that's the whole point, man. Like, there should be questions that are asked because that's a dangerous situation, especially with him being so young. Yeah, I mean, it. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe we're just the two crazy people that we're asking these questions. Because it was weird to me when they had the Khabib fight. They're like, he's over 200 pounds. He's going to cut to 155 in, in how many days? That doesn't make any sense. And he had a bad cut, and I'm like, and now he's got to get ready for another fight a couple of months later. I'm like, it just didn't make much sense, and it seems very irresponsible on behalf of the organization. And to a degree, 
kind of irresponsible on his team. That's just my opinion. I'm not saying it is or it isn't. It just seems that way. It seems like they're taking unnecessary risks. Definitely. I won't, I won't disagree with you on that there. Um, let's move on to the co-main event where we have a title fight between Valentina Shevchenko and Joanna Young Jacek. What do you think about this situation here? Um, and let's go ahead and kind of break it down. From top to bottom. Um, well, before we get started, I have to say I, I don't agree with this fight on a bunch of levels. Valentina's only had one fight at flyweight against the worst fighter in the flyweight division. That doesn't make her world class at that division. And Joanna hasn't ever fought in the division in the organization. So it makes me it doesn't make this fight very legitimate to me. It almost makes it somewhat of a farce, like a money grab. So that's first off. As far as the matchup, it's a good matchup. It's a volume striker versus a counter striker. It's person with distance management and precision versus somebody with movement, aggression, and volume. It's a good matchup on paper. Um, I'm going to favor Valentina for it. I think there's ways Joanna can win it, but a lot of what Joanna does is successful because she's a world-class striker and the girls she fights aren't. Valentina is a world-class striker who's a bit bigger, a bit stronger, and in my experience, is a little bit more durable than Joanna. So this is really a favorable style matchup for Valentina. And she needs to win this fight because she has a lot of pressure on her. She loses this fight is a really bad look for her. At least Joanna's become a champion and a dominant one. Valentina can't afford to lose this fight. So what's interesting is that the one thing, hold on a second. One thing that's kind of stood out to me is that a Joanna looks much bigger, much better at this weight class than I thought she would. Did you see the the video and the pictures of them uh, scoring off earlier this week? She's actually a lot taller than uh, Shevchenko. Yeah, uh, she, maybe, she looks good. Maybe it was the heels that she was wearing, but she's definitely a lot taller than Valentina. Yeah, she looks she looks good, and she looks a little bit stronger. And under normal circumstances, I would even say this might help her with her durability. That was before she had gone through how many years of five round fights, taking abuse, being brutally knocked out, and then taking a hell of a beating in her in two of two of her last three fights. It's I don't think you just recover from that damage. I don't know that moving up a weight class repairs the damage that was done previously in those other weight classes. Because not only is it the damage you took. It's making that weight for an extended period of time that damages your body, your durability, and your ability to recover. I'm not saying moving up won't help her, but it's not going to fix the damage that's already been done to her. Because she's been in a bunch of five-round fights, throwing a lot of volume, taking a lot of shots, going a lot of rounds. And that's just in the actual fights. That's not counting sparring. That's not counting making, making weight. That stuff has an effect down the line. You can only dodge those effects for so long. It might be a move that's too late in her career, to really save what she has less left physically. What I'm interested in, yeah, like I, I am interested in seeing what she has left. I think Luke Thomas has mentioned it a couple times that she's been in, she's been in some wars, man. Like she's not, she hasn't been able to put some people away that they thought she was going to put away. So it's kind of like, well, what does she have left? And did those shots that, um, that Rose gave her, did they 
take something out of her. So it's definitely going to be uh, an uh, intriguing situation. Yeah, she gets stunned a lot. She got dropped by Andrade, which is no shame in it, but she still did. She got dropped badly by Caroline Kovacavich, and Kovacavich isn't a big hitter either. I forgot she got dropped by her. You're right. Yeah, and when she went down, it wasn't like, oh, I lost my balance. I stumbled. It was like it took her a second to get her wits about her. And when and when Rose hit her, I mean, I, Rose can hit. I, we all know Rose has power, but when has Rose ever hit somebody with one shot and put him away with the hands? I've never seen it before. And even in that second fight, Rose was really marking her up. I mean, like I said, it's a double whammy of the way she fights, requires her to take a certain amount of punishment, and also fighting at that weight class affects your body's ability to absorb punishment. So, yes, she's moving up now, and she feels a lot better. I remember when Conor McGregor told me, well, I'm moving up to 170. I can eat more, feel stronger. I'll be able to take more shots. I'll be deliver more power. And he fought Nick Diaz. It didn't turn out that way. And Donald Cerrone told me the same thing. Rafael Desanias told me the same thing. And both guys, they faced the upper echelon of bigger, stronger fighters, uh, got knocked back down. And all of a sudden, now they're looking to go back to weight class. Rafael Desanias got roughed up by Covington and Usman. And Daniel, Daniel, uh, Cerrone got knocked out by Masvidal and Leon, Leon Edward. And uh, what's his name? Darren Till. So weight and size matter for me. And the damage you took moving up doesn't go away just there's still a reason we have weight class. I'm not saying that Joanna doesn't have if Valentina just sticks with her one or two shots to fight around and throws the volume Joanna can feign her and outwork her with volume and variety but even then it's because Valentina is a fighter I said Valentina is shown to be the more durable fighter I need to see almost a, a perfect fight from Joanna to win Valentina doesn't have to fight perfectly. She just has to add a little bit more volume and take advantage of the size and strength advantage she's going to have coming in. Because either she's not bigger than Joanna, she's used to fighting a man in New York. Girls like that. Nothing Joanna's going to do physically is going to throw her off her game or allow her to get more. In my opinion. So who do you think comes out the victor on Saturday? I really think it's going to be Valentina. I expect Valentina to knock her out inside of three or four rounds. Three or four rounds, huh? Yep, if it goes that far. I, I really believe she's better at distance. She's a sharper puncher. Joanna's terrible in the pocket. The only question is, is Valentina going to throw in three, fours, and fives, or one and twos? Because when she lands hard with a one and two, she'll stun somebody, but she won't follow up to get the finish or really put that damage on them. So she, I know she can land one or two shots that'll stun Joanna. The question is, will she put the three, four, and five shots behind it? They'll clean her up and put her away. I believe in this fight, at this weight class, she's going to be willing to do it. If for no other reason than the fact that we've already seen Joanna get kind of shaken up by other fighters. And she she has a psychological advantage believing that she can walk through Joanna. So I fully believe her, I, I fully believe she will knock her out inside of three or four rounds. Probably might even be sooner than that, but I'm going to say I'll give her at least three or four. Good thoughts there. Good thoughts there, man. Um... Let's talk about the next one up, uh, Jimmy Manua and Thiago Santos. This is an important fight here as well in, in the 205 weight class because there aren't a lot of challengers and people lining up for, for, for an opportunity challenge in this weight class here. Who do you think comes out on top and why? I'd probably have to say Thiago just because Bonoa doesn't have a chance. Like, he's never taken the best shot, 
and he's been knocked out a lot. And recently, he's been knocked out even easier than he has before. If he could take as good as he gives, I'd say he wins this. But at least Tiago can take punishment. He can deliver, and he can take it. His problem is his gas tank. But if he lands a if he lands clean on Jimmy, it won't go one or two rounds. And Manawa's not a good defensive fighter. He's okay on the counter. He's good on the lead. But the fact of the matter is, everybody knows his chin is suspect, so people are willing to take chances to get to his chin. When you get to his chin, it's pretty much lights out. And that's been the case for, what, his last two or three fights? Every fight he's lost, it's been a pretty ugly, pretty decisive knockout. And I expect it to follow suit this this time. Do you think that if Santos picks up a big win here, do you think he emerges as the next contender at 205? Or someone to watch? Someone to watch, yeah, but I don't think he... I don't think he he has a name value to jump ahead of money. Shogun would be ahead of him. And even if Shogun's not ahead of him, Anthony Smith has had more dramatic and more decisive wins or better wins at the weight class. So Anthony Smith and, and Shogun would be ahead of him, in my opinion. Hmm. Okay, I'm not mad at that there at all. So let's talk about Claudia Gadelia and Nina Ansaroff. Uh, Gadelia's man, I feel sometimes I feel bad for her because like she. She's someone that could have been a champion if it wasn't for Yuana Young on Jacek. She could have held that title for a little while, um, even though Jessica Andrade came through and steamrolled her here. Who do you think are um, who do you think which lady do you think is going to come out on top here? I'm going to say even though Gadelia hasn't looked very good and she's coming off an extensive break from an injury, I think she's just better than Ansaroff. Ansaroff's a good fighter, but she's two of her biggest wins have been over Angela Hill. Who's in, who's actually, in my opinion, like an atom weight? Who's like an atom weight? She's not big enough for the weight class. She doesn't generate enough power. She's got the skill set. She's got the athleticism. She does not generate enough power, and she doesn't take power shots well from bigger, stronger opponents. That's shown against Andrade. It was definitely shown against Ansaroff. And then Ansaroff beat Ronda Marcos, who is the lowest IQ fighter in the division. Like she just makes the worst decisions, the worst decisions. She can't fight within the structure of a game plan at all. Either that or her coaches are terrible. So either she's got bad IQ or her coaches don't know what they're doing. Because they come up with the most ridiculous game plans that do just enough for her to lose a, a contested fight and complain how she should have won. But essentially, those are her two biggest fights. Neither one of those girls is as good a wrestler as Gadelia. Neither one of them has Gadelia's chin. Neither one of them has Gadelia's power. And Ansaroff's great when she doesn't fear what's coming back at her. And against Marco, she didn't because Marco doesn't have the striking acumen. Against Hill, she didn't because Hill just doesn't hit hard enough. Gadelia has the power, she has the physicality, and she has good enough wrestling takedowns where she, she can control Ansaroff and probably do a lot of damage on the ground. So essentially, based off those three things, in my opinion, Gadelia should win. If she can, essentially, she wins the first round, she should win the whole fight. I know she has gas problems, but she should essentially she should be able to take Ansaroff down, if not at will, pretty close to it. She's still one of the better takedown artists in the division. So I expect it to be a contested fight, but I expect um, Gadelia to win a, a close decision. Possibly a stoppage, but more like a close decision. She's not really stopping too many people nowadays, but she should definitely win a close decision. Interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always been interested in how Gadelia performs because she is just going to, like, she's going to be the John Fitch of this division when it's all said and done. She's close to the, she's, almost, I'd say she's the Misha Tate, but Misha won the title, so I guess not. <laughs> And, and Rose would be a good matchup for Gadelia. It's it's really bad the timing she's she's been in these positions because when she fought Joanna the second time, her her 
her ish, the way she trained for that fight was incorrect. If she would have been the way she was two years later, she might have beaten Joanna at that stage. But that stage, she had the wrong camp behind her, and now it seems like the weight class is catching up to her, and her ability to fight at a high pace has even, has lessened even more. And that causes her problems against fighters who can get back up or defend takedowns and force her to work. Luckily for her, Ansaroff's never been that good a defensive wrestler, and Ansaroff isn't a high-volume striker. She's a high-volume striker when you can't hurt her, but if you can hurt her, she doesn't like. She doesn't look for contact when she's facing somebody who can crack. And Gadelia can. And Gadelia just goes to the body, works the jabs and some feints. She'll be able to rein Ansaroff in. And if she takes her down, that's essentially the fight. Ansaroff isn't finishing, finishing her off her back, and Ansaroff isn't really known for getting back up when people take her down. Ask Random Marcos. She worked over for the better part of a round, and Marcos's wrestling is average at best. At best, it's average. And her athleticism is just slightly above average. So it really comes down to, can Kadelia control the pace, and can she fight within the structure of a game plan? If she can do those two things, she wins this fight going away. She gets crazy and starts fighting dumb again, well, it, she'll get tired, and, and it'll get really ugly for her. But I'm going to say that Kadelia's got the experience and the skill set to pull this off. True. I could definitely agree with you there. Uh, there's another important women's flyweight fight. Caitlin, Caitlin Chukagian and Jessica I. In my opinion, this is probably the number one contender's fight, especially with uh, Sajara Eubanks talk, uh, announcing that she's moving up to 135. This I has don't to, agree with that decision either. That's going to be bad for her. No yeah, it's going to be bad for her as well, too. Um, she's, I wonder if she's being told to do it or if she's making that decision on her own because, yeah, like, I mean... She missed weight, what, what twice? So, yeah, for a title fight and for the fight with Mata Ferry. Correct. So she missed weight. Well, she never weighed, actually weighed in that first one. She just she was just told she's on un- she's un- eligible fight. But she's made weight more than Mackenzie Dern has. So, like, there's that. But um, and she's made it by closer margins, too. But that's neither here nor there. I, I agree. I think that that's going to be a bad decision for her. But... So that has opened the door for this fight being the number one contenders fight. It has to be, and I think that Caitlin Chukagian is in position to take that spot. Yeah, it's a it's a good matchup. I've never been the biggest fan of Chukagian at this weight class because she's almost Holly Holm like, and she throws so much volume and makes that high noise when she throws, but she misses so much. She misses so much in, in her fights. They've not been very exciting at all. It's been. Her, she might throw a thousand shots, but she's only landing like 250 out of that thousand. It's an interesting matchup because just guys on the new run, just guy was left for dead at Phantom weight, and also now she's the top seven fighter in flyweight division. I personally favor just guy because I think he has a better all round skill set. But just guy's a little, in my opinion, a little bit more physical. He's got a cleaner boxing. I said I think I's got cleaner boxing. She's a little bit more physical. And the ground game is where the, things really separate between them. If Chukagan was a little bit more accurate with her strikes, I would go with Chukagan. But Chukagan is really inaccurate. And she throws a lot of volume, which means she's there to be countered, especially to the body. So I expect Jessica I to fake with the hands, go to the legs, fake high, go low, punish her to the body, eventually get her down and kind of work her over for a decision. Chukagan's very skilled, and she's got an interesting style. But she doesn't have a style that's very successful against somebody who's competent striking. And Jessica I's got enough skill set on the feet to hold her own with her, to get to her. And she's got enough speed to get to her as well. So I expect Jessica I to win a tight I don't think she can finish. 
communication. But I think it'll be tight just to communicate with those things on the session. Breaking up, Swan. Yeah, I expect Jessica I to win a decision. I think Chukagan's volume will make it tight, but I expect I to hit the cleaner shots and to dominate the grappling exchanges. Cool, cool, cool. Some, some good thoughts there. Um, is there anything else from this card that stood out to you that you think is worth uh, talking about coming into Saturday? Not really. I'm really glad that women are getting a chance to, to get some shine and, and important fights, too. That's the most important. That's the biggest thing I like about this fight. I mean, the Ortega Holloway fight is very important. But I feel like we haven't got enough important women's fights, like fights that are actually shaping the division. And all three of these fights will be shaping divisions moving forward. True, true. Um, I want to kind of touch back on the uh, main event from Tough 18, where Kamara Usman basically steamrolled RDA. What are your thoughts about that fight there, man? And what's next for Usman? Uh, it's like it's like we said on the fight. RDA depends a lot on his physicality, and you're not going to beat a guy who's a bigger guy than you, who's also a wrestler. Um, Usman outfought him, but a lot of it was RDA couldn't hurt him, and Usman just physically grinded him down. That, that's really all to it. Nothing he did technically really impressed me. Um, he's a little bit sharper with his angles, a little bit sharper with his shots. He's still not putting his shots together enough for my liking. And defensively, I think he's got some holes, but with his kind of wrestling. You can navigate that easily. Um, I'd like to see him fight somebody who's a little bit more, a little bigger, who can kind of test push him a little bit. I'd like to see him fight like a Ponza Nibio, but um, I'm thinking he's holding out for a title fight. So unless it's Covington or Woodley, I don't think he's going to fight again until he until one of those guys is made available to him. I don't think he'll take any other fight. And it's interesting because they're talking about the fact that. Covington has not agreed. He and Woodley, they're trying to book that fight. Woodley has hand surgery coming up. Um, they, Covington is trying to wait for that fight because they offered him Usman. So it'll be interesting to see if they let Usman jump over Co uh, Covington for that situation. But I think that either one of those two men should be the number one contender for the uh, title. Well, given, given, and once again, I hate I hate to bring the money into it, but given how the UFC likes to see if they can get pay-per-view sales or ratings, how do you make any fight except for Covington? I mean, Usman looked good, but Usman didn't look dynamic or dynamic or exciting. He didn't. I I know he didn't draw a high rating. So I mean, the only person who can sell a fight would be Covington if you have any chance, because Woodley doesn't sell fights at all. So you need the B side to carry the fight. Um, Usman isn't great on the microphone. He he's not charismatic to me. So how do you make a fight with Usman in Woodley over a fight with Covington? I think the Covington fight is more interesting. I think the Usman fight is a tougher fight, but I definitely think that the Kobe Kobe fight is uh, more interesting just because of his ability to 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 sell. Yeah, I mean that that's all I'm that's all I'm saying is like one's a better fight, but. Is it better enough to get people to sit down? I mean, and even with Covington, I like Woodley. I admire Woodley's craft, but he's a really hard sell. You need a very big person across from him to even get him to 100, 200,000. I mean, Darren Tilda couldn't take him that far. Covington's the only other option they have if they want to make money off of Woodley. And I can't imagine Woodley taking Usman. That doesn't help his pay per view points. That doesn't help his brand. That doesn't help him cross over. Covington's a guy who can 
if anybody can help him himself, would be Covington. Usman doesn't do much except challenge him, challenge him as a fighter. And I, I don't I don't think Woodley's as concerned with that as he is with breaking through to the next level of stardom. And that's not a, that's not against him as a fighter. I know he wants to be a quality fighter, but he's made it clear he wants to break through to the next level of being a fighter, which is being a star or a superstar fighter. Usman ain't doing that for him. Yeah, I'm definitely with you on that there. And um, it'll be interesting to see what happens because uh, Dana White's already doing his smear campaign against uh, Woodley talking about he doesn't want to fight. So that's neither here nor there. I'm not even I'm not even here for that. Whose boss, does, whose boss does that to you? What other major sport has a boss who just slanders his own product and his own athlete like that? Well, you see that happen in other sports oftentimes when owners uh, are trying to denigrate athletes that are leaving their team. So this isn't, this, it's not rare. It happens. But, but wouldn't this be more like uh, Adam Silver saying that uh, Kawhi Leonard's boring or or what's his name, the guy, the head of the NFL, um, I can't remember, Roger... Roger uh, Goodell. Roger Goodell. That's like him saying, "Oh well, Tom Brady wins in a boring fashion." Like, I mean, you just you just don't hear people say stuff like that. Now you can say they're greedy, they're overvalued, but whoever just says that that person doesn't want to play. I mean, the commissioner, which is essentially what Dana White is. That that I've never seen that before. It it just blows my mind. You have nothing to say about women beaters or drug users, but you got something to say about the guy who. He's defended his title three or four times? I guess. <laughs> sure, whatever. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's some pretty uh, intriguing situations going on in the UFC right now, man. Tell me have you, tell me what you're working on, dude. What do you have? What should the fans uh, look forward to seeing you produce? Dude, if I can... I'm actually hoping to actually get a new... La- I bought a new laptop, and I started typing, and that went out. That's four... La- I don't... I don't even want to touch a laptop. That's four laptops that have gone out on me in the past month. And it's beyond frustrating. That that I can't even talk about it. I'm it's just it's frustrating. And it's getting expensive now. So now I gotta get these things fixed. So I'm hoping I'm hoping after Christmas I'm gonna be back on it and writing more and getting back into it. But I at this point I, I I'm just having no luck with this and I'm just disgusted. Ha, <laughs> just disgusted, huh? Pretty much. I, every time I see a laptop, I just want to throw it out the window now. <laughs> every time I see one, I they just all hate me. I don't know what I did to one, but obviously all the technology does not like me. That's unfortunate there, my man. Um, as usual, you know, I, I have all of the content that I create and produce across the internet, so be sure to follow me at R. Garcia Sports to catch what I'm talking about. And Shawan, let, let everybody know where to find you. Um, you can find me on Twitter. Black Jordan Green, always talking fights, cornering, boxing, and mixed martial arts. You want some behind-the-scenes insight? I can give it to you. You want to know my personal experience? I can give it to you. If you just want a breakdown, I'll talk any fight you want, any fighter you want. I got the time. I'm here for the fans. And tell them where they can find us. You can find us on iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, and FM Player would be the three or four biggest sites you can find us on. Once again, thank you for your support. And to keep on cranking it out for you guys. We just hope you appreciate what we're doing because we are doing it for you. Especially this man. He got like 15 jobs. He's probably working one job while he's doing the podcast. That's how. That's multitasking. I've done that before, sir. Definitely done that before. <laughs> that doesn't even shock me. I don't, I don't even know when you sleep. I don't know what you have against sleep or rest, but you really should get along better with both of those things. They would help you tremendously. 
I'm about to I'm about to take some good sleeping right now. Shit. All right. I'm gonna hold you to that promise. Hey, trust me. I'm about to pass my tweet. If he's tweeting about wrestling, we got problems, homie. I'll be watching your Twitter line rest of the night. All right, you can keep watching. I'll be like, I thought you were supposed to be asleep. Why are you still up? Don't watch me watch TV. All right, man. All right, man. Uh, appreciate your time. Yo, we'll be back at it next week. And programming note, next week will be... Is it next week or the week after? Let me see. Next week will be our last show of the year, potentially, because I'll be traveling to uh, Mexico and Honduras for New Year's. We might get in a show on the 20th, but the 13th may be our last show of the year. I'll, I'll keep you guys abreast of, of that. That is one thing you know I do. You, you work... Work, but you party like it's a job too. So yep. I know when it's time to have fun. He gonna get it all. He gonna do overtime on it. Triple shift overtime, time and a half. He knows how to work it. It's gonna be a good time, man. But again, appreciate you and have a great night. Yeah, you too, sir.